coming to you live. Tori Bates, aka Yahweh's Walking Miracle. We're here in the FTK Studios for the first of what we expect to be many, many opportunities to tell folks something good. We're live in FTK Studios with Nick, aka Nick at Night. Um, Today for a great episode. We interrupt this regularly scheduled podcast episode, you know. This is Tell Me Something Good, and we're going to do something a little different today. Wow. My, <laughs> my name is uh, Summer J, uh, and I'm here with Mr. Tory Bates. I will be taking over your podcast for our first episode today. Okay. Um, I think it's important for the people to know who you are um, before you embark on finding out who everybody else is. Um, so today we're going to be focusing on you, Mr. Tory Bates, a.k.a. Yahweh's Walking Miracle. YWM when yeah, I'm in the yeah, booth. Yeah. All that, you know what I'm saying? Live and direct here at FTK Studios on FTK Campus. Nikki uh, Knight in the building. For for the kids, for the kingdom right here in Raleigh, Memphis. Uh, so we're going to start off. We're going to start off with some fun. We ain't going to get too serious too soon. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Um, so we got a few questions for you. Shoot. You ready? So these are rapid fire. So you got ready. like two seconds. Okay. All right. You ready for this? Stay ready. All right. LeBron or Kobe? Kobe. Okay. Jordan Lowe's or Jordan Highs? Ones. Ooh, Lowe's. <laughs> okay. I know that's contrary to what most folks would say. But Lowe's. <laughs> okay. Grits or oatmeal? Ooh. Let's go oatmeal. Okay. It's healthier. Uh... So this isn't rapid fire. It's a short, an- short answer. Okay. What is the greatest advice you've been given in your life? People are going to always put you on the billboard. Just don't give them anything to paint with. Hmm. Would you like to explain? Uh, so when I was a youngin', um, I was, uh, I'm still figuring it out, but I was definitely really, really figuring it out. Fresh out the streets. You know, I had a calling on my life. And my pastor, uh, Frank Lewis, who had been walking with me since I had been a kid, I had gotten myself kind of caught up in, like, listening to the bandwagon of gossip about me based on my past and people not believing I had changed. And so he told me, he was like, hey, listen, don't worry about them. People are going to always put you on the billboard based on what your calling is. Just don't give them anything to paint with, which means that, you know, the stories end up being fabricated. Mm. or assumptions so mm-hmm. I would say that's part of the greatest advice I've been given because it reminds me to who much is given much is required it's big facts so we can get on the screen big facts big Go facts across the screen okay yeah 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 okay um so you wear a lot of titles you have a lot of badges that you wear daily I'm not a boy scout it's you a were badges. a boy scout that was a cub scout wolf cub- pack wolf I made it to the wolf, I think. Anyway. <laughs> Wait, there's a wolf in the boy in the Cub Scout? I know you wouldn't know this, but yes. Yeah, no matter how I look. <laughs> <laughs> you was a Girl Scout. <laughs> you, I can I get them cookies? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, I didn't I didn't wear the what they wear? Do they wear hats? Who the Girl Scouts? Yeah. I, listen, I was a <laughs> Cub Scout wolf pack. Uh got my nose dislocated, going to summer camp with my granddaddy, and after that it was a wrap. So that's what happened to that. Oh, here we go. <laughs> I'm sorry. You got nose jokes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. okay. Um, so, but who is, <laughs> who is Tory Bates professionally? Um, I would say that professionally, I think the, um, if I had to sum it up, I would probably say it as I said it uh, with Jen. I think I'm a community coach. I'm a visionary that I think I believe in the big picture. Um, I'm passionate about all things uh, that have to do with transformation of people and community. Um, I uh, despise transactional opportunities that don't lead to real opportunities to be in relationship and affect change over the long haul. And so from that perspective, I say a life community coach because the work I'm now in or the calling that my life has morphed into is around community development and doing the the marathon work of collective action. Um, And so as a coach, a coach is always thinking about the different pieces of a team in order to make that work properly. 
Some of that's, you know, back office. Some of that's above the coach's head, the GM work and the board work that has to be done that affects what you're able to do it within the game. And then there's the player development side. And then there's the growth for the coach to be able to lead, you know, to get better at the X's and O's. And, and so as it relates to who I am professionally, I think the best way to say it is that I'm a, I'm a community coach. Um, I no longer can do all of the work myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that number one being too small of a number, it means that I have to have the ability to be able to uh, bring people together and put people in the positions um, in order for us to thrive as one, one unit. So the people that don't know you, don't know what FTK is, doesn't know, they hear all that, but they still don't know what I do, what you do. So I get a chance to lead a 124 acre camping retreat center um, located in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, That 124 acre camping retreat center has been around for 22 years now, be 23 years in August. Um, But the opportunity we have is uh, we were developed in order to provide a place for black and brown children to go in the summertime and over really 18 18 years that's what we did six out of eight weeks six to eight weeks out of the year we open our campus for hundreds of young people to be able to come to our campus uh we have cabins and dormitories so we can sleep a little bit over 200 people overnight and we believe in providing life-changing experiences for all people um for me um i got here in 2019 um and what i saw was an opportunity to be more than a camp um, I saw or I see where we have a very interesting proposition. Uh, we are a nonprofit organization. Um, unlike most nonprofits, we have the opportunity to be the number one contributor to our work, even financially, by our ability to be hospitable. So we spend a large part of our year just in hospitality, working with groups and um, organizations, having camps, not just in the summer, but year round. So that's the baseline of what I have a chance to do is to be hospitable, kind of I call it the Marriott of ministry uh, to provide this level of hope through uh, our food, uh, through our infrastructure, through our experiential learning opportunities on our low element and high element courses. And uh, and then outside of that, we um, we've we've we felt called since the pandemic to be the largest lighthouse in our community. We're located in a suburb of Memphis called Raleigh. And uh, Raleigh is a beautiful place um, with lots of hurt right now, lots of pain. Like every community, it's just that our lawns aren't as well manicured to hide it. Um, And we see our work as one of a collective action where we want to see the transformation happen in Raleigh. We see that through basic human needs, food, clothes, shelter, technology, internet, right, would be a basic human need. Um, and we see it uh, We see it through providing what's necessary, development opportunities, career pathways, so that young people understand that um, geography, right, like you grew up with this dream, I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave Memphis. And when I leave Raleigh, I'm going to blow up, right? We, we, we believe that the transformation in Raleigh that we get a chance to lead will teach our young people that uh, you don't have to change your geographical location in order to change your destiny, but that you can, from right here in Raleigh, be developed right in a place that's equitable uh, to be able to be all that you've been called to be. So does, does that, did I, did I answer the question? That and more. Okay. Mm-hmm. You should have told me to stop talking. <laughs> I'm going to let you keep going. We can edit this out. Don't worry about it. Maybe editing it a little bit. Okay. Nick, you know what I'm saying? We talked about this wouldn't be a much editing I lied, you know. <laughs> uh, so FTK for the kingdom is not a church. No, no, we're you definitely sure ain't no chapel? We're, we're not. We're not a physical like church with four walls. But do I believe we are the church, like a collective work of people who believe in the finished work of Jesus on Calvary, and that our lives are changed forever because of His substitution for us? In that regard, we are the church. But are we like a church? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, we're not a local church. Uh, people will refer to us uh, as a parachurch organization and an organization that 
uh, holds to some of the foundational principles as a church does, like our belief in Jesus, our belief of our belief in the work of the Holy Spirit being the power in us that does the work through us. Uh, but no, we're definitely not a. Uh, the doors of the church are open. <laughs> you know, we take no tithes. Man, we take donations, but we don't take tithes. No, we, no. I mean, <laughs> we don't take tithes, but. If you are interested in donating, <laughs> <laughs> ftkmethods.com. Please pick, click the link that has popped top up on right, the screen. <laughs> top right. Um, so that's Mr. Bates professionally. So who is Mr. Bates personally? Who is the man? Um, I am the you know the son of George Pauline Estelle and Sam Bates, um, and. Uh, I am from Jackson, Mississippi originally. I was raised 30 minutes north of Atlanta in Alpharetta, Georgia. And uh, it's where I was raised. I was a young rebel without a cause, uh, stayed in trouble due to a lot of the abuse uh, that I experienced as a kid um, and the poverty that came from a mom who left college to marry my father uh, early on. Um, And so I saw a lot um, and I was expelled from school and all of those sort of things as a as an adolescent. And uh, it kind of helped shape who I am today, I believe, just uh, carrying a lot of that hurt and that pain as a kid, um, going to school, looking for family within the laughter and the applause of other kids is really where my life began, um, I believe. Uh, the entrepreneur spirit at a young age of going to school and selling cheap bags of Cheetos for 50 cents, you know, um, all of that was a, a real part of who I was. Um, I feel like you just, who are you? Who I feel are like you? you just joked me when I touched my nose. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> nope. Not this time. Um, but who I am today is uh, out of that, I would say that I am uh, a humble, passionate, a lover of books, uh, a creative uh, who loves to worship, um, who loves to write, um, who loves uh, my wife, um, the father of eight beautiful children um, that takes real joy and seriousness about my relationship with my kids and is forever evaluating who I am as a parent and uh, where I may be missing the mark. Um, And I would say a a wonderful, what I hope to be a wonderful friend. I I think my, you know, I'm an encourager at heart. I love to encourage folks. Um, I would say that's who I am. Okay. So I know you mentioned God and faith and, you know, being, that continuous light that Jesus left behind, right? And passing it on to others. And, yeah. Um, being a resource to the source, essentially, right? So what mm-hmm. What was, tell me a little bit about your faith journey and what kind of got you to. Yeah, you so uh, when my parents and I, we moved from College Park, uh, Khaled Park, excuse me, mm. Georgia, to Alpharetta, <laughs> Georgia. In Atlanta. And just kind of escaping, uh, escaping poverty. Um, you know, we joined the church and they did the altar call one Sunday, which is at the end of service where the pastor essentially opens the doors of the church is what they call it. And my family and I went forward and the pastor, you know, gives you the what they call the right hand of fellowship where he, he shakes your hand and he asks you why you came. My parents said to join. They took us to a back conference room and I met a lady by the name of Miss Mamie and she was the pastor's wife and uh, she asked me um, if I wanted to get to know Jesus and my parents had already kind of began to explain to me who Jesus was and everything at home which I appreciate that I didn't like I wasn't hearing about him for the first time wondering if Jesus was a third grader (laughs) you know (laughs) Uh, but like I knew I was it was 1988 and um I was nine years old, you know, going in that September was January 1988. And she shared with me uh, the good news that uh, she didn't have to tell me I was a sinner, that I would miss the mark. Um, I had been through so much abuse as a kid, physical abuse and mental abuse, that I knew that I made a lot of mistakes. But she exposed me to this love 
and that love that she was exposing me to and that Jesus had essentially removed this barrier between me and God, it uh, it changed my life at that moment. Um, and that's where my faith journey started. I pray that God will forgive me for my sins so much that she interrupted me like, baby, I believe he heard you, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember then that that's really where my journey started. Also, the journey of me understanding Jesus' love, but not fully being able to fathom the fact that he had forgiven me, that I was a forgiven person. And my journey started there. Um, I can remember uh, my faith um, starting to pray and always being curious about faith things and reading my Bible as a nine and 10 year old and uh, getting up on a Sunday morning to go to church and being excited about Sunday school. And I can remember that um, going on Wednesday night and then, you know, teenager years roll around and you, um, I think I've always been in the girls, but like, you know, you begin to really, really start to feel yourself, right? And and want to put on. And so church became like a social club, you know? Uh, you know, you, you made sure you was fresh and you said the right things, even if they weren't the right things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, it was like a shift occurred in my faith journey. Church was no longer a place where I went to learn. It became a place I went to put on. You know, Mm -hmm. and uh, and so I kind of went to the right. I got expelled from school um, and all of that kind of affected my journey. And um, when I was a senior in high school, I had been uh, moved around twice. I had been to two different high schools and I'd been put on a Greyhound bus to travel to Detroit, Michigan, to go live with my father and uh, who I uh, hadn't seen in probably eight to nine years. My father had been kind of on and off of crack cocaine. And so I didn't really know him. I knew of the broken promises and, you know, running to the mailbox thinking that that Pacer starter jacket mm-hmm. was there. Never. So I dealt with the disappointments. But this was the first time I was going to really get to know my dad. And I put on this Greyhound ride for 24 hours. And um, I was there in Michigan. And in Michigan, um, I got in more trouble and. I did more drugs and more alcohol, and um, I passed out on the side of a highway one night, and uh, I fell. I got out of the car to use the restroom on the side of the road, and uh, I tripped in a pothole, and I fell. And my friends were so high, right, were tweaking so bad in the car that, like, they didn't even see me fall. And I could hear the Lord saying, boy, this is your last time. I got up off that road and I got back in the car kind of in this daze and I um, looked at myself and like thought I was good. And so I went back and started like talking to the little shorty that was in the car uh, with me um, in the back seat with me. And all of a sudden, like she was laughing at some joke I told and she touched my face and I screamed and they turned on the lights and I know this may be hard to imagine today. <laughs> my lips was like bigger than they are right now, right? Um, but like my lips were huge and uh, I had chipped three of my teeth and one of my teeth had come through like my chin. And um, in this image I had worked up whole since I had become a teenager was shattered. And uh, I went home and I lied to my dad, said I tried to dunk on some dude at the Y and on the story went, but a couple weeks later, I went to a convention called Promise Keepers. And um, what I heard there in that Detroit Silver Dome convicted my heart and it exposed me to this love. And so it was thousands of men at this event um, and they gave an appeal to come down. And I went down on the Detroit Silver Dome uh, like field and there was hundreds if not thousands of men you know, twice my age, I was 18 years old, giving their life to Christ and had counselors everywhere praying with folks. And there was no counselor to pray with me. And I can remember that being one of the first times, you know, not praying for him to help me with a test or if you get me out of this trouble for getting pulled over for being a minor with alcohol or if I don't get expelled from school this time, right? Not being in this urgent situation, um, but like really praying for the first time to really surrender and understanding what surrender looked like and choosing him over something. Um, and it was at 18, you know, essentially 10 years after I had 
surrendered as an eight year old, right? Or a nine year old, excuse me. Um, so nine years, um, I gave my life to Christ and my life was forever changed after that. Um, I made more mistakes and um, didn't always get the journey right. But I can remember going back to school. Um, I can remember being different. I can remember opening up the scriptures and it being like somebody was shining a flashlight on them. I could understand. And this is in the King James where they were talking about thou and them and shout <laughs> and shall. Uh, you know, Nick at Night love that version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do. <laughs> uh, but uh, but it it uh, it gave me. I can remember waking up like the next morning and still being on my knees, having fallen asleep, talking to God, and my life was different. And this was at eighteen. Eighteen. I was a senior in high school. I was. This was in April of. About the end of 1997. Early 1700s. <laughs> <laughs> it was 1797. Um, uh, but it was uh, April of 1997. I remember it. And I graduated two months later. And I spent those last two months where I tried to stop smoking bud. I tried to leave, you know, the Newports alone. And I tried a lot of things. Um, but I had so much. They were such idols in my life. Mm-hmm. I was so dependent on them for my hope. I could never do it on my own. But the taste, like, I didn't smoke any bud anymore, right? I didn't care for alcohol. I wasn't going out to parties. I was literally, you know, I was a different young man. And I was asking him, why have you saved me? Mm-hmm. And it was there that I realized the journey really begins. It's not a matter of just not going to hell, right? It's... Mm-hmm. It's also this journey that then begins of living, you know, kind of the prayer of watching his kingdom come through me on earth as it is in heaven and the tumultuous road that was to follow. S-A-T word. Tumultuous. Tumultuous. You want to spell that for us? Come on now. That's not what we're here today. I'm sorry. Word of the day. Tumultuous. (laughs) I think you should do that. I think you should do word of the day. Word of the day, tumultuous. Tumultuous. Okay. I'm going to practice that. I'm going to start using it all day. We'll we'll curate that. Girl, dang, you tumultuous today. No, I didn't use it right in the sentence. I would fail the spelling. You may get slapped, say that to a a woman. Well, I wouldn't say that to any woman. My bad. I'm sorry. This is a family show. I'm sorry. You can edit that out, Nick. So, with all the things and things that have shaped you, the amount of people that have poured into your life, Mm. the um, deep, intimate relationship that you have with God, like that real face-to-face with God that you've seen, I'm sure, on multiple occasions, but definitely for that day um, at, was it 18 when you? 18. Well, not that, when the accident with the lip and the girl yeah it was, it was 18 um so it was april 97 too we uh it was the two weeks prior to going to promise keepers mm. so i know that that was a turning point but i know that there has been a recent turning point in your life as a grown grown man for sure for sure one that has already had has a cultivated relationship with God and is able to hear him and see him and be able to understand the visions that he gives you. And yet um, you still were in a place that allowed you to go through something that is remarkable. And so December 18th, 2021, what happened? What, what does when you think about December 18th, and if you could explain what happened that day, what would you say? Hmm. 
Um, what happened that day? A lot of things happened that day. Uh, it became a day. That day is a day that I realized I was a son, not a slave, not a servant, not a stepson. It's a day that I realized just how loved and seen I am um, by both God and my family. Um, yeah, the day was uh, one that, you know, folks say, like, the money can't solve everything, but give me the money and I'll let you know what else I need help with, right? Like, literally had received a million dollars weeks before. And on December 18th, I got the keys to this land I had trusted God for for almost two years. And I still felt lonely. It was a rainy, cold day. Um, I couldn't go over and walk or run the property like I had done with my son, Jai, when we were believing him for it by faith. Um, my family was not at home. And I felt alone. I felt, I felt desperate to be seen, to be loved. It, it was so deep that, like, It made me believe that I wasn't seen or loved or celebrated. And on that day, um, you know, I was, I received 16 shots in my vehicle being out when I wasn't supposed to be. What you mean? Um, so I got up and I left the house um, and I should have been resting that day. It had been a long year of grinding in COVID, feeding thousands. The work grind was where a lot of my identity was wrapped in that and trying to prop up an organization that had been losing money for six years. Here I was going into the close of year two. We've gotten this huge investment of faith and I was exhausted. I can say that now. I was exhausted and I should have just been sitting my narrow behind at home, relaxing. And I got up in search for something. And anytime I've ever been in search of something, I'm willing to, I've been willing to not live within my boundaries I've set for myself. And that day I could hear clearly after leaving the mall, I'm passing the exit, Austin P, which would have brought me home. And I heard clearly, go home, go home. And I wouldn't. And I passed the exit, I go down, I get off on South Parkway, um, I get slapped around essentially, you know. Um, I get punched in the face, um, and eventually I end up receiving 16 shots in my vehicle. Um, one coming through the windshield, striking me in my face with the bullet in my neck. And I can remember blood, like I can remember feeling like I got hit and looking up in the mirror and seeing blood like pouring out of my face and immediately kind of losing it. Like in just this like, why am I out here? Like the initial feeling was one of just regret, like, this is why you said go home, you know? And, but he didn't leave me there. There are times when my kids get on my last nerve and they crying over, like, I told you not to jump up them stairs. Mm-hmm, go and cry, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and here I was having been a disobedient son and he came for me. God came for me. 16 shots in my vehicle and only one made it within the vehicle. Not just one hit me, but only one came into the vehicle out of 16 shots. Seven of them right on point, aimed right at me. And only one came in the car. Like, that's protection. 
That's love. And so that day I, I realized that with everything that was going on, there was a lot still that I was trapped in like a, a time capsule of my past where there was nothing that could ever happen in my life that would have been enough because I've never believed that I was enough. Never believed that I deserve pure, unadulterated love, you know? And so that bullet uh, came with a lot of gratitude to see my wife rush into that hospital to see her face and to see her love and concern, which because of her own life and trauma, you know, there have been times when it's been hard to interpret the way she treats me as love. Um, that day I could see it. She came into that room and she was like, baby, keep your eyes open. The way she touched me, like brought healing energy with it. Her faith telling me, baby, keep your eyes open. You're not going to die. When there was no doubt with the amount of blood I was losing that I could probably die. Like her faith in that moment was love. And so um, my life changed because I recognized that I was worthy even when I was unworthy. So you received, your truck received 16 shots. One goes through the windshield out of numerous ones that already hit the windshield. You are able to drive yourself to the hospital. Praise God. With your wife on the phone, with you the whole way. Um, you were able to, not knowing at the time you had a bullet in your neck, so you were able to run into the hospital on your own two feet from your car that is sitting with the bullet holes. Um, and how long were you in the hospital? Well, one, first, what, did you have any injuries did you have i mean a bullet to the face with a bullet in your neck and what 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 were the injuries did you have any no i mean the injuries that i had were those um i mean you know a couple skint knees from being pushed down in the rain um um but the injuries i had were that and hit a tooth and the bullet didn't hit a nerve. Bullet passed throughout my whole neck. My primary care physician said just two millimeters inside. And I would either be paralyzed on the right side or I would have died instantly. And so just the specificity, you know, the, the how close but how far, how intentional he was or he is. No injuries, though, no. Do you find... No no physical injuries. No physical injuries. So do you find any comparison from the 18-year-old you that fell, hit your face, at some point you looked in your rearview mirror and seen your reflection to 40-something-year-old you looking in your reflection in your another rearview mirror or visor mirror and seeing your reflection of everything that you have built. Now this is your family and all these things. Do you see any comparison to those in, those two incidences? Hmm. How fleeting life is, you know? Um, life is so fleeting, um, can be so easily taken. Um, it... The other comparison I would say would be um, my recognition that I'm a sheep. <laughs> you know, sheep are like known to wander, known to for the shepherd to have it for they for them to have it good, have everything they need, everything they need to eat, everything they could possibly want, and they still wander off. Um, the 18 year old me was still dealing with a lot of hurt, a lot of trauma. The 40 year old me um, was still dealing with a lot of hurt, a lot of trauma. 
that have been wrapped up in just the grind to be more for my family, to uh, to be competitive enough in life to to become a pro at controlling myself, to be able to bring about certain outcomes, um, to be surrendered at a certain degree that I could really be trusting and leaning on him. And yet I still had this pretty bow around the ugly things in my life, the secret stuff that still made me wonder. And so I would say that just how fleeting life is and just that, you know, at the heart of who I who I am at both ages is a sheep that's prone to wonder, prone to get carried away by some foolishness that needs a shepherd to wrangle me back in. Hmm. So how has your healing been? How has your mental and spiritual healing been since the incident? You know, it's a it's a long road to, you know, the first couple months, few months uh, were super hard, really hard. Uh, and just the why me? Like, why did this happen to me? Of all people, like, why, why me? Why am I the one living with a bullet? Why I'm the one whose face is swollen two or three times the size that it should be? Um, and so not ever getting an answer to those questions was hard. Um, the emotional roller coaster of uh, mental, my, the mental illness of being shot and not understanding it, not having anyone to look to that I can say, you know, I can get the experience of like, Hey, I know what you're going through. Um, to know that my family doesn't understand, um, that to, of what it feels like to be shot, what it feels like to try not to relive the moment over and over, um, has been tough to, the exit South Parkway I was off of, um, uh, my third oldest daughter <laughs> uh, was going to the Excel Center for school and I would have to pass the exit every day, taking her to school. And there was not a day, not a day where I couldn't feel her stares <laughs> and that there wasn't something emotional, you know, about you know, passing a place where I was meant to die, where the enemy, where I could have died, and uh, to notice all the little details, it's been hard. Um, to find a new purpose mentally of 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 life has been hard. I was I'm a competitor at heart, like I want to compete, you know. And so, um, if you're not for me, if you don't believe in the vision. Oh, then you you my op, you know, like you're an opponent. I'm putting you I'm putting you on the big board. You one of the reasons I wake up every morning. Right? To I don't I don't care about that anymore. So I've had to find a new reason to want to get up and go to work. Like I just want to love on my kids. I want to learn how to love my wife and help her deal with her trauma. I want to know what it feels like to be sober. Right. For longer than a month or two or three or a year. I want to know what life feels like. With sobriety, real sobriety, not just talking drugs, but just in managing anger, managing disappointment, like and being aware of my feelings and not numbing them away. Um, it's hard work. It's been real hard work spiritually. Um I sing a lot more um, um, than I did before. Uh, like I love J. Cole and Kendrick and I love and I mean, they still in the playlist. But I find myself with my radio off and just. Worship, I find myself requesting more beats so that I can write. Trying to find a way to to deal with who I am as an emotional being. Um, I'm a different person in that way. Um, I'm not hiding from myself and the things that I think are ugly. 
And so in that regard, um, life has been a beautiful struggle. I've learned things that I was interested in. I had no idea that I had interest in before. And mm-hmm. so that's been super revealing and cool, you know? So you, that's probably one of the darkest moments. It was a dark night, dark rainy night when everything happened. Um, and somebody would have told you at 18, like, oh, yeah, by the way, bro, at 40-something, you're going to be shot in the face. I mean, ultimately, that would leave a truly naked, negative and um, fearful thought in your mind, right? Like, if you could just see a glimpse. So it's something, uh, at the end of the day, it was something unfortunate that happened to you. So... I think part of this show, part of this podcast, part of these conversations is being able to say, hey, these are the terrible things that have come across my, that were pl- were in the hand, the, the, the hand for me that was in my deck. Um, but then this is the good that come out, that has come out of it. So tell me something good that came out of December 18. Um, my baby boy has become a writer because of the time that we've been able to spend together. Um, I've um, I can see how much my wife loves me, <laughs> and you know we've been married nine years, and. You know, on the outward side, we have a beautiful relationship, like as friends, as companions. Um, But like every relationship, there are things that are missing, right? Um, I can see her without thinking, I wish we had more money or more vacation time or more babysitters, you know what I mean? And I would say um, there's a story in the scripture about this man by the name of Jacob who had been a deceiver and manipulator uh, his whole life. He had been kind of uh, that fan, that flame had been kind of fanned in him by his mom. And he stole his brother's birthright. And then he fled, right? He fled from home because he thought his brother would kill him. And as he's getting ready to face his past, in order to like move to this new level of being, uh, he has to go home and see his brother. And although he had been blessed while he was away, he also had to deal with other people manipulating him the way he had manipulated his brother, right? So he had kind of these gifts and these curses that were happening. And as he's getting ready to go home, he sends his family on ahead of him, right? Splits him up, sends him on ahead of him, And he's in this dark place at night. And the scripture says that he's met by an angel. And that he wrestles all night. Right. With this angel. And he says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. He's wrestling with his past. Right. And things he's gone through. And he's in this event, in this one event he has, his hip is knocked out of place, right? And Scripture says that the angel leaves. The next day, hip out of place. My boy is never the same from that event. But a transformation occurs when he meets his brother. His, his brother is not holding the things in the past against him. And he's transformed by what happened at night with him. So that when he does meet his brother, he's meeting his brother with this level of humility and this level of understanding of the ramifications of what he did many years ago. Um, I say that to say that, like, what good has also come of it is that I've embraced my healing. Um, I'm in relationship with my real dad. Not without holding against him. Years of neglect. I had a uh, 
volatile relationship with my older brother. And I don't hold that against him. Years of neglect and us going back and forth and having this unhealthy relationship of two boys who became men, but two boys who experienced like gruesome physical abuse together. Um, I've, uh, I'm a humble man that has found gratitude in the small things. It ain't got to be a million dollar check for me. Everybody don't have to like me. You know, like he don't have to do another thing for me. He really doesn't. Like I've learned to rest in whatever state I'm in. You know, like if he could be with me and I could feel the power of his presence while I'm recovering from a bullet in my neck. If he can send the embrace when I'm at my my lowest, if he can send the embrace of a five year old little girl to hug me, to kiss me and for that to heal me. If music can connect me back to him, I'm just grateful. And if there's anything good that's come out of it is that because my lust for more before then was insatiable. And I recognize that now that a lot of what I wanted was me trying to feel my lust for more. I'm trying to accomplish more for God. Right. But I'm looking forward to fill a gap in me that only he can fill by me embracing the fact that, like, I'm grateful to know that. I'm no longer a slave or servant, which I probably ought to change my from here to serve to here to love. Mm -hmm. Right. Because he says it clearly. Henceforth, you're no longer a slave or a servant, but you're a son. Whoa. Only a father would come for a son on a dark path. Mm -hmm. Only a daddy would do that. Only a daddy or a mother, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, would do that, would be willing to 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 be a shield Again, in such a dangerous situation. And to tell you something good, it's that, we're man, we are loved by God. Like, love so deeply that, like, he does not hold our wrong against us. He didn't let me die that night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <sighs> so, why... Tell me something good podcast. What is this for? What this, is the purpose? This podcast is to talk about miracles, right? There's miracles happening every day. There's people who are walking miracles like I am. That needs to be shared, right? Um, it's very clear that all throughout creation, there are things that can bring us back to God, right? But if we don't know, we don't know. Mm-hmm. In a world that's filled with so much hate, so much crime in the heart of our city, we're not we're known as murder eight to start a podcast called tell me something good to tell the stories of dope individuals who are doing amazing things, but not just what they're doing, but who they are and who they are becoming. Mm-hmm. It's tell me something good. It's you know, there's even today, there's plenty of things we can talk about that are off mm-hmm. in our life. Mm-hmm. But like there's plenty of things that are good. And so to be able to expose the world to those things, to the work that's happening in Kibra, Africa, that nobody knows about in one of the largest slums in the world. Right. To be able to expose people to the youngest mayor of Arkansas or um, to uh, believing people of faith who may just so happen to be a part of the LBGTQ community. Right. To be able to expose people to the work of workforce development or barrier free housing or there's so much good Mm -hmm. that to be able to bring that conglomerate of work together in a way that uh, is filled with humor stories power and exposure to transformational work that's happening all around the world i think is um legacy living Mm -hmm. providing a platform for all people to be heard um and to discuss some of the toughest issues of our day Right. On a platform that ultimately leads to something good in every difficult conversation. There is light. Mm-hmm. Right. That shines out of that difficult conversation. So to be a place where we can have those difficult conversations and um, and to listen. That's why, you know, tell me something good in the song. You know what I mean? Tell me something good. 
Wow, wow. <laughs> tell me, tell me. I don't know the whole rest of the part. That's all right. That's all right. Go Nick on. and I put a little auto-tunes on that for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want to thank you for letting me um, kind of host your first episode and introducing you to the world once again. I appreciate that. Um, in a that. different way. Um, thank you for being a superhero in my life. Hmm. See you trying to make me cry. <laughs> um. <laughs> Hey man, we gonna cut this out. But um, thank you for being one of my best friends. And just thank you for being you, and thank you for living on and not giving up that night. And it's a wrap, folks. Uh, one more thing. Um, so every episode um we'd like for you to leave an encouraging or motivating quick spiel not spiel uh statement for people to chew on and uh be able to um digest as they wait on your next episode to drop so what is one thing that you would like for people to kind of just uh put in their system spiritually or mentally while they wait who is the lover of your soul? I can name probably four or five things that I tried to put in the place of love. So I ask you the same question. Um, who is the lover of your soul? You know, I know that Yahweh desires to love us deeply. And yet for a lot of us, you know, we can't get our idols out the way so who is the love of your soul right now you know what are you putting in the way of being able to be in fellowship with the miraculous one that's all I got you know he loves us deeply I got a bullet in my neck to prove it you know I've got a blended family at home that proves it what proof do you have that could make you surrender to Yahweh, what proof do you have that he loves you? Tell me something good, okay? Tell me something good. Nick and Knight, bow, much bow. love to you, bro. It's a wrap, folks. We out of here. <laughs>